Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm Freddie. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the New Statesman podcast. On today's episode, we're looking at Labour's plans to solve the energy bill crisis. And you ask us, why aren't Labour using the George Osborne attack line of they failed to fix the roof while the sun is shining on the Conservatives? Keir Starmer has returned from his summer holiday with a big plan to deal with the ever-increasing energy bills crisis. So they've announced, Labour has announced it would freeze the energy price cap for six months at its current level, which is 1,971. It would cost about 29 billion, their plan. 8 billion would come from expanding and backdating the windfall tax. 14 billion from the money earmarked for the 400 cut to bills scheduled for, for October and 7 billion from reduced inflation resulting from the policy itself. So the, the Price cap was forecast to rise to 3,600 in October and up to about 4,000 4, in January. So it saved households at least £1,000, Labour said. So, Freddie, how do you think the policy has gone down? I think the reception thus far has been quite positive. There was a lot of expectation because people have been waiting for Labour to come out and say what they would do about the cost of living. There's been a little bit of criticism directed at Kirstarmer for being on holiday, which is quite predictable, but also I don't think criticising politicians for going on holiday in the summer in August normally sticks. So they're back now. And what they said, I went to Edinburgh on Friday to see Starmer speak, and he was talking about how they've been planning this for weeks. It's been on the media grid for weeks. They're always going to announce their plans before the 26th of August when the the new cap is announced. So I think it's got, it's got down quite well. It's interesting how focus they are on ensuring that it comes across as costed. They've also brought the funding together from a mix, a bag of policies. You're relying on things, for instance, like a reduction in inflation, reducing debt repayments, which has raised some eyebrows about what's going to happen when the policy stops, comes to an end, and does inflation just go straight back up? The other concerns about whether if energy prices stay high for the whole of next year, are they going to keep the policy going indefinitely? So there are still some questions about it, but I think the main message is that Labour have a plan, which is arguably much more radical than the Conservatives' tax cut programme. So I think that will be received quite positively. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about it is that it's kind of, it's just until March, it's just this six-month yeah. period and 
it seems designed to put maximum pressure on the Conservative Party leadership con- contestants. Ben, is it popular? Hello. Yes, it is. Unsurprising, unsurprisingly, dish, dishing out money is really unpopular, <laughs> but it's good for Labour to, to go in hard on trying to appear like they're costing it, trying to appear, some, trying to gain some semblance of competence. YouGov poll for the Times found that, what was it, 75% support fixing the cap on energy bills with just 8% opposing. This includes 75% of those that voted Conservative in 2019 and 12% opposed. The, the general theme that we need to fix the problem with our cost of living, the problem with energy bills is accepted by the vast majority of the public, both left and right. And so Labour is filling a void, an August void. We're all journalists. We know that attention is lower in August. Traffic is lower in August. But really, the news coverage has been ridiculously depressing, hasn't it? We are so focused on the worst is yet to come. And so this is perfect timing. In the previous podcast, I criticised fearing that Labour would start to make their announcements on the cost of living, just as the Tories were announcing the next leader and the next prime minister. And I, I'm just trying to imagine, did Labour seriously think, I don't know, they would get equal footing in the coverage? No. So yeah, this is perfect timing. This is one in which the public it ring, it strikes a chord with what the public are after right now. The question is whether it actually boosts perceptions of Labour as an actual competent force. But that is yet to be seen. Yeah, I think one of the interesting questions is what does Liz Truss do now? Because she said she's very much like in principle against any kind of windfall tax. So is she really going to come out and say, I want to increase borrowing to bail out energy companies? Which is, that puts her in a very difficult position, really, doesn't it? You're going to have to see a change from the government because just because we know the numbers are going to be so vast and so many people are going to be struggling, the May announcement isn't going to cut it. And that's why you've seen some both candidates come out with their policies to cut taxes, such as Liz Truss wants to get rid of the green vet levy, energy bills, but you just need to find money elsewhere. And also those policies aren't accounting for the massive increase in energy. So we are going to have to see a change, I think. It's just where you where you see that change happen. So we've had some talk coming out of the Treasury this week that they're thinking about having loans to to companies and perhaps to the customers. But this is all just plans. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see until we've got a new prime minister in to see what they do about it. Yeah, it's always that, you know, that kind of uh, a government's really struggling for ideas when they said they've asked the Treasury to ex- examine yeah. proposals. <laughs> Waiting for them to come up with <laughs> yeah. ideas, yeah. Yeah, I guess... If, if, well, one of the things that I was surprised was speaking to a Labour source today was that kind of they don't mind the comparisons with like Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which kind yeah. of cuts made, made life easier for working families as we always have to refer to them for families. And, uh, and but at the same time, raising taxes on corporations. And I think that's, do you think that works for them? Do you think people would start to associate them with Biden? I think the other interesting parallel, which is related to that, is that with Labour's announcement, they also attached their energy security proposal, just like Biden's act was also about addressing climate change and trying to reform US energy sector. You also saw Labour say, we're going to increase solar panels, increase onshore wind, increase offshore wind. They also came up with a plan to insulate more homes over the next few years. So they are trying to link the two. And I think that's interesting. I think one of the problems or the criticisms of Starmer over the past few months in relation to the cost of living is that it has been too long-term focused. He's been talking a lot about energy security and how we need to bring our own energy back on shore and insulation of these things. And that's great. And I think most people recognize that, but if the bills are going up in October, that's not going to cut it. So the combination of the two is quite a powerful thing to do, I think. Yeah. I think well, there's always some people in the Labour Party who are not happy with what the Labour leader does. And it has momentum's kind of given it some welcome, but has said, Keir Starmer should have gone further. He should have gone for nationalisation, mm. pointing to 
a two, 2.2 billion bailout of bulb that the government essentially made yeah. recently. So do you think nationalisation is a better answer, Ben, and is it more popular? Oh, nationalisation is popular. Everyone loves it. This is one of the arguments put about by the permanently online keyboard warriors about the Labour manifesto of 17 and 19, how it was a popular you ask voters, yeah. should we nationalise energy? Should we nationalise rail? Should we nationalise the banks? Banks are a bit middling, but energy, rail, the key components of the economy, vast majorities, both Tory and Labour, back it. However, it's, that's not the important bit. It's not the important bit of whether you back this or that public ownership. What you back is, are you trusted to handle that? Are you trusted to deal with that? Are you trusted to take it into public hands, make it work, make it profitable, ensure that it doesn't crash the economy? And that is one thing that I think with respect to the permanently online keyboard warriors for the Labour Party that do <laughs> listen to this podcast, you, you, the one thing perhaps they do have to grasp is this, it's competence that you need to be seen to have. It's trust, it's capacity to handle the economy. And that's something Labour didn't have in 17 or 19. So dishing out a manifesto or demanding a manifesto that commits Labour to public ownership is, yes, correct in that it does have public approval, but are you trusted to do it? Yeah. Are you seen as competent? And the Labour Party of 17 to 19 wasn't. Yeah, and it's the, it's the whole package, isn't it? It's about how those policies fit into the rest of the manifesto, yeah. as in whether they will be viewed as competent. They've put a lot of emphasis on this being a costed plan, the Labour Party yeah. today, haven't they? We've, we, it has all of these elements. Please read all of the small print. We want you to know that we've costed all of this. Do you think, I know that they've gone up and up in the polls for being credible on the economy. Do you think that's sustainable now? Do you think that, that they're going to, manage to get through to the next election without having this sort of magic money tree argument pushed to them again? It's a hard question to answer, really, because yeah. you've just had a, the past few years of the Conservatives ringing, tearing down, planting, growing and cutting down all those magic money trees for their own political purposes. And indeed, during this this leadership campaign, it seems as though it's become a redundant argument. However, you do have to appreciate where the British people are. They are a people that are quite fiscally expansive, borrow to invest. They are normally bought by that. They were, however, bought by austerity in 2010 through to 15. They appreciated that argument about it's balancing the books of your household. Most voters tend to buy that when you apply it to government, even though it makes no logical sense. But not, so nonetheless, you've always got to come with some degree of competence there. Nonetheless, to reiterate, they do like, they do believe in investment. They do believe in spending more borrowing to invest, all that kind of stuff. And so that makes it quite difficult. What's happened for the past year and a bit is the Conservatives have just trashed their own record on the economy or the kind of record they built. They built a record 2010 through to 15 of being competent by restricting spending, by cutting back on departmental budgets, by lacing public announcements with bonfires of the quangos and cutting bureaucracy. And you were seeing that in 2010 and it's continued to this day. That's where they got the reputation. Now they're trashing all of that. It seems as though the economic argument, the economic debate in this country has almost been reset. So the next election will not be fought on what was 2010 or 15. It's good that Labour are very well aware they need to cost it. They need to look competent. But goalposts, if you want to call it that, if you want to use the football analogy, they've definitely been moved. We're in new ground now. I would like to ban all football analogies in um, <laughs> oh, politics. <laughs> so I think this summer has been quite damaging for the Conservatives on the economy because I think particularly Liz Truss is delaying all of her announcements, the regional pay debacle that they had, the story we had with Rishi Sunak on, on taking money out of deprived areas. I think they're sort of, they end this summer, or they will end this summer much worse off than they started it, I think. What do you think, Freddie? I would agree with that. I think in part because you've seen the campaign 
get to such a venomous level where both candidates have forgotten what they used to believe in some sense. Both, for instance, Rishi used to bang on so much about how he wants to bring down debt before the end of the next parliament. Now he's less less fussed about that and he's much more focused on tax cuts because he can see that he's going to lose otherwise. And I think that that's a consequence naturally of it being directed at the conservative membership who we've discussed many times before are much more right-wing especially on economics but more broadly as well with the cost of living there's the simple argument that the state of economy is in a, a sorry state we've not had growth for a very lot of us had sustained growth for a very long time and we've also had a stagnant decade for wages so you are seeing that bubble of whether it's in the strikes that we've seen across the summer or in the cost of living or people unable to pay their bills there's going to be a natural connection between the state of the economy and the government in power Indeed, yeah. And I just I just had to go back to Labour a little bit. I know, I know you said, and I would broadly agree with it most of the time, that the politician goes on holiday. It's not a big deal. Public yeah. generally think, yeah, I went on holiday. I needed to spend <laughs> some time with my family as well. But I think there was just, there just seemed to, and I mean, I, I was away last week and, and even I noticed it when I was logging in and out of the news. There was this just period where there was just this tumbleweed where Labour should have been at least signalling that something was coming or rolling the pitch a little bit or... I think it certainly hasn't helped him. I think that's right in part. And perhaps they could have been, their briefing game could have been a bit better saying to journalists, yes, this is going to come. Do not worry. You don't have to look to Gordon Brown or to Ed Davey for policies that we are going to come. And so they let the rumour mill uh, go a bit quickly, I think, definitely. But uh, it's not been that long. I think it's been a month. And But the broader picture of Labour not announcing or not being seen to announce enough policies is more pertinent here I think and that's why this narrative's got a little bit of traction it's not so much about one week in Mallorca with your family it's much more about are you trying to set out a vision for an alternative country when we've got such a poor government and that that's the real criticism and we've spoken about that before and I think that's where Labour are at risk is the lack of the vision rather than weekly media briefings. Hi it's Anoush here This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Edward Docks on the death of Boris the Clown. When did the booing start? He was never exactly sure. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. One presenter told me that producers had taken to booking their own parents. May Robson on why women's football is the more beautiful game. Like most of the England squad, the Euro 2022 captain Leah Williamson can't afford not to have a plan B. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Come on, Ben. 
You ask us. Believe me, you every time. <laughs> Aside too long. Right, so this week's question comes from Richard, and he says, George Osborne, either side of the Tories' election campaign in 2010, sold the lie to the public that Labour failed to fix the roof whilst the sun was shining. Twelve years on, and with recession looming, have the Tories fixed the roof as it starts to rain? And why don't Labour use this as an attack line like the Tories did? Ben, what do you reckon? Have, the, have they fixed the roof while the sun was shining? <laughs> when was the sun shining, really? Would you say the period of better economic growth was 2014, 15, 16? I think that was the best chance they had, and did they? No, no, not really, did he? Nonetheless, though, the narrative, the argument, if you can actually quantify and qualify a narrative in public discourse, it did exist, didn't it? That you did, Labour yeah. did fi- fail to fix the roof while the sun was shining. That fear campaign in 2010, that we were just weeks away from becoming like Greece. How dare us fall, <laughs> fall to the depths of Greece in 2010? It's a di- it felt like a different time. I was actually watching the uh, debate of the 2010 election and the way we talked about the economy, the way we talked about immigration world away Mm. from now and that just sits with me in 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 what the point i made earlier which is that the economic debate has been reset so much for the past what i was looking at the chart here for the past what 13 14 15 years the conservatives have been ahead almost consistently ahead on the economy it narrowed in 2010 one one plus if you want to say about gordon brown was that in the 2010 election campaign he actually narrowed the polls on the economy not the party labor was tired it needed to be kicked out all that kind of stuff for the past 15 years the tories have been shaping the narrative now they don't so really time now for labor to step in and make some headwind to should i use the term show some policy legs sorry i really shouldn't should i yeah <laughs> the time better, to do the better than the football analogy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think so oh no <laughs> there'll be some disagreement there okay yeah <laughs> the time to do this is now it, it, it's perfect timing you have a country that has never given more attention to one issue one economic issue like the cost of living in the 21st century like now this is serious this is big and um, you you Labour has chosen the right time to come out now. It's good. It seemed well-structured, well-prepared for public consumption, what we're talking about being costed, what we're talking about, who should be paying for it. Because it's easy to talk about what you're going to do. You're going to nationalise so-and-so. You're going to give free public broadband. But how are you going to tax it? It's easy to say tax the richest. But when you specify windfall tax, when you specify company, it Mm -hmm. communicates the voters that you have some degree of competence. Should Labour do what Osborne did? Absolutely. And then some. To reiterate, the debate on the economy has shifted. It, it's not what it used to be. Do you think they can use that attack? You failed to fix the roof while the sun is shining, Freddie? I think they can, and I think they have. Sam had a good line on Friday. He said, the story of this cost of living crisis is the story of the last 12 years. So you have seen them trying to make the link. The problem with that is that we've had two intervening periods. First of all, was the 2019 general election, as Ben alluded to, sort of changed the economic narrative, whereby increased public spending, increased debt was much more acceptable and we left the austerity years and household financial management. The other thing was the pandemic. That completely changed the perspective on what the government or the state can do. Is it okay to have billions of pounds of debt? Is it okay for the government to intervene so heavily into the employment market, for instance? So I think those things have changed and that makes it harder for the for Labour to connect the current problems with austerity just because the times have changed. But having said that, soon I can trust with their focus on tax cuts over specified public spending, particularly in a high inflation environment that we're in as well, does hark back to a, a more austerity focused economic narrative. So that might be a key way that Labour can strike a dividing line. 
Yeah, I think, I don't know how they can use that specific phrase while the sun is shining because no. the country's been without growth now for years and years where it's yeah, very, it's, very easy to, to chuck that line at labour at the end of a very long period, yeah. relatively. We've had 10 years of grey. Yeah. So I think it, so it worked specifically for that period. But I, I do think they can use Magic Money Tree effectively because I think it works for somebody like Trubs if she's going mm. to continue the whole... I'm going to borrow to make tax cuts, except that I think that kind of could be successful eventually. But yeah, it's kind of a slightly different time, I think. So they're probably balancing it in a different way. Well, that's all we've got time for today. If you've got a question for You Ask Us, email podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Weymouth, and my colleagues, Freddie Hayward and Ben Walker. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley and our music, Devil with Devil, is licensed under Creative Commons. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a nice review. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts.